few years ago, I was introduced to the idea of what is called an anechoic chamber. Uh, these rooms are made so that all sound is dampened. And uh, here's an article that describes the sensation of being in one of these rooms. It's, it said, uh, if you stand in it for long enough, you start to hear your heartbeat. A ringing in your ears becomes deafening. When you move, your bones make a grinding noise. They do that now anyway. But eventually you lose your balance because the absolute lack of reverberation just sabotages your spatial awareness. This entire room is designed to remove like background noise. They use it for testing uh, how loud something is usually. Uh, headphones or phones. Uh, Reggie was talking about them using it for a um, washing machine. See how loud a washing machine was. And you get a real true reading, accurate reading with this. Um, it's only the direct audio that you can hear. There's no echo. So basically, it's the opposite of our foyer. Um, <laughs> you know. uh, the shell of the room, it's made up of six layers of concrete, which is then detached from the building that it's in by sound dampening springs. So it's kind of like suspended. There are fiberglass wedges that line the walls and the floor. You can see those in the picture. And uh, they break up all the sound waves before they can bounce back. And the floor itself uh, that you're standing on is actually a netting of sound dampening cables that are above the fiberglass wedges. And the ambient noise in these rooms, the quietest one that, that I found while studying this up in Minnesota, and it was at, uh, measured at negative 20.3 decibels. Negative 20.3. The average threshold of human hearing is zero decibels. Now, I grabbed our decibel meter, which we have a decibel meter, so we know how loud the music is, by the way. Um, I know some of you think we don't. <laughs> but we do. So if I were to take a reading when I'm not talking, it's about 44, 45 decibels in here, just ambient, ambient noise where in this, it's negative 20.3. So you can see, like, it's just removing sound, it seems. Um, the, uh, yeah, somebody like me, I've got constant ringing in my ears. And so being in one of these rooms, I think, would be peaceful, but it would also be awful because it would be so loud in my ears. Um, but I wonder, how many of you, you, know, you wouldn't mind taking some time in one of these anechoic chambers, maybe to get some peace and quiet in your lives. Uh, you know, get away from all the noise and the hustle that this world seems to throw at us every single minute of every single day. I mean, that might sound tempting, right? You know, no kids, no cell phone, no nothing in there. Just peace, silence, solitude. <laughs> it can be tough to find those things in today's world. We're we're so busy, and the world around us is very noisy. And everybody with young children are like, yes, that's absolutely true. And I may not have kids myself, but I do have eyes, and so I can see how busy life gets for families with uh, kids. Either you're up super early because your kids are crying, or maybe you've got a dog that's barking, I don't know. Uh, or, you know, you're being the amazing kid Uber, and you're moving your kids from event to event um, maybe, you know, it's not kids, but maybe it's your work. Like you work all the time. You don't ever seem to get caught up. You're always thinking about work and, uh, you're always available to answer your phone or a text about it. 
Maybe you're a teenager and you just started or you're getting ready to start school this week and you've got homework and you've got activities like sports or dance or whatever you're in, theater. Um, maybe you feel like, like, you know, you've got one of these awesome gadgets in your pocket, you know, a lovely uh, smartphone and you have this on all the time and you turn on all of your notifications and so you get all of your notifications and you feel like you're going to miss out if you don't get back with somebody immediately after they text you. Maybe there are times when uh, we get alone for a little bit, but then we fill that time with noise. You know, we fill that time by watching our favorite TV show or watching something on the internet on YouTube or the news or listening to music or a podcast or the radio, whatever it may be. You know, we fill that time, that even that small bit of time that we have, we fill it with noise. I was reading somewhere as we were, as I was studying this week, they, they made a pretty good uh, assertion. They said, we are addicted to noise. And, and so, yeah, we might long to be, we, we might enjoy being in one of those anechoic chambers in one of those rooms, but maybe more likely we wouldn't really want to go because we like the noise. Some of us like being around others all the time. And maybe the alternative scares us a little bit. But today we're going to look at that alternative. For the past six weeks, we've been in this sermon series where we've been looking at different spiritual habits that we should be embracing as Christians. And these habits, they're not what saves you. you know, that's only Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. But they do help us and to walk closer with God every day. Today, we're going to look at two of these. But really, they're just two sides of the same coin. Today, we're going to look at the habits of solitude and silence. And you may start seeing that these habits are, are overlapping a bit, the ones that we've talked about. I mean, we talked about that last week with the habit of worship, as worship really encompasses all of these habits, and worship should be a, a daily habit for us. Well, silence and solitude pair well with some of the other habits that we've already talked about, like prayer and Bible study and rest. So what I want to do is I want to look at each of these individually, kind of the biblical uh, basis for why we're calling these habits that we should be studying, that we should embrace, and then kind of look at some practical ways that we can do this. So let's start with solitude. I was reading... Um, a, there's a story, a short story by a Russian playwright and author Anton Chekhov, who uh, has been considered one of the world's greatest writers. He was from the late 1800s, early 1900s, and uh, he wrote a short story called The Bet. And there were two men in this story, and they were discussing which would be worse, whether it would be solitary confinement or the death penalty. There's an older man who is a wealthy banker, and he believed that the death penalty was the more humane way to go than solitary confinement. Uh, he says, better to die quickly than to die the slow agony of death that solitary confinement would be. There's a younger man who is a lawyer who disagreed, saying that solitary would actually have been better, because even though you're removed from everything, you're still alive and living is better. Well, that somehow got the banker all worked up, and so he made this bet, and the bet was for 2 million Russian rubles, and that's, according to uh, 
my limited research on the internet, so I know that it's absolutely positively true. Uh, it's about $25 million today. And so the bet was that the young man would not be able to withstand five years in solitary confinement, basically removing him from contact with people. The lawyer was so sure of himself that he said he could withstand five years, but not just five, he could go 15. And so the bet was settled, and the young man went to live in this building on the banker's large estate. He could not receive visitors or newspapers. He could write letters, but he couldn't receive any. There were guards that were posted that, that could ensure that he was following through, but he wasn't going to be able to contact them or see them or, or anything like that. He had no contact with anybody. If he was fed meals, it was through a special slot where he wouldn't be able to see anyone. But he could request things like books and musical instruments or certain foods, and so that's what he did. During his time, he, he played music early on in the early years. He read novels for a while. He learned languages. And then in year 10, he really focused on the New Testament and religious studies from about 10 to the 15th year. But I'm not going to ruin the end of the story because I think that it would be worthwhile to read. But the young man did grow in wisdom, and he started to despise earthly wisdom. And what I think this story shows is where I think a lot of Christians would like to be. Like, I think we would love to be somewhere where we can give that total attention to God uh, among other worthwhile things and, and really lean into God's wisdom. Now, I don't think that the Bible advocates for us to all of a sudden isolate ourselves for a long period of time, that we need to go find you know, a, a monastery somewhere and live as monks uh, do. But I, I do think that it, it says that we need to be a part of the world as well, but there, there is benefit in having times of solitude. Solitude can be defined as the spiritual discipline of voluntarily and temporarily withdrawing to privacy for spiritual purposes. The period of solitude may last only a few only a few minutes or for days. Basically, it's just removing the distractions from your world and spending time either in other spiritual disciplines, working on those, or just simply spending time with God. And we absolutely need this kind of solitude. We need that in our lives. And let me give you a picture of why. In the book of 1 Kings, the prophet Elijah had an encounter with the prophets of Baal, on a mountaintop one time. And it was, it was an amazing scene where, you know, God showed up huge and powerful. If you haven't read that, it's in 1 Kings 18 or 19. I think it's 18, but... Um, but right after this, the king of Israel at the time, his name was Ahab, he wanted to kill Elijah. And Elijah was afraid. And he fled into the wilderness and about a day's journey in, he prayed that he would die. He just prayed that God would take him. But an angel came and refreshed him with food and drink and, and told him to go to Sinai, God's mountain. And that's where God would meet him. 1 Kings 19 verse 11 says this. It says, The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart 
and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. It's such a great privilege for Elijah because there's not many who are able to say that they were in the presence of God and lived. But as you saw in the description, you know, all of these powerful images are going through all these powerful things. You got the wind, this powerful wind that is tearing apart mountains and shattering rocks. You got an earthquake and a fire. But God is not in any of that. After all of those, though, there was a gentle whisper. And that whisper is why we need to learn to find solitude. Because if we're too busy, if we're too crowded, we're never going to slow down enough to be able to hear God speaking to us. Being alone with God is so important that we even see Jesus throughout his ministry seeking time away from the busyness of it all and just spending it in prayer with his Father. Christ began his ministry in the wilderness with 40 days of solitude and fasting. Another time, as described in Luke 6.12, it says that on one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. He was doing this because he was getting ready to choose his 12 apostles or to appoint his 12 apostles. Then following the death of John the Baptist, Matthew records Jesus' reaction in Matthew 14.13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. And there are even more examples in all four of the Gospels where Jesus would often go just to find solitude, be away from it all in order to spend time with God. And so if Jesus needed that, and he's God in flesh, how much more do we? How much more do we need to spend time alone with the Father? So hopefully that gives us an idea of solitude. But on the other side of the coin from solitude is silence. Oftentimes these two go together, and that makes sense, right? When you're alone, it can get pretty quiet. But we do need to work at this. Like I said earlier, we're kind of addicted to noise, and this is so true for me. Anytime I'm alone, I've always got something playing whether it's music or a podcast or I'm watching something, I've always got some sound going. Even as I'm going to sleep, I've got music playing. Like this, this one device is very helpful uh, because it can, it can make it. So if I really want it, I would never have times of silence. But it's not just the outer noise that really we're trying to get away from with this. It's also the inner. And maybe more importantly, it's ourselves being silent. So that's how one person, Donald Whitney, uh, defines silence. He says it is the voluntary and temporary abstention from speaking so that certain spiritual goals might be sought. His focus is on what you can control, and that's your speech. As I was preparing this week's message, that really isn't where I thought we were going to go. Like, I really thought it was going to be focused on, you know, finding the, the place that is quiet not necessarily being quiet yourself. And I think the place that is quiet is also worthwhile. I think that is good. 
but it's more than that, this habit of silence. There's much wisdom in learning to control your speech. And when you are practicing the spiritual discipline of silence, that helps you to be able to do that, to control your speech. In his letter, James writes a a fairly prominent passage in chapter 3 that talks about controlling the tongue and how difficult it is. And I love this passage. I'm just going to read the whole thing, verses 1 through 12 to you. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example, although they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praising and cursing. My brothers and sisters, it should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So much happens with our speech. It's a powerful thing. I love the image of the tongue being such a small part of the body, and yet it is very powerful. And as James says, anybody who's never at fault in what they say They're perfect because they're able to control, to keep their whole body in check. If you're able to control your speech, that is worth so, so much. Richard Foster writes that the tongue is a thermometer. It gives us our spiritual temperature. What comes out of your mouth is out of the overflow of your heart, right? But it's also a thermostat. It regulates our spiritual temperature. So control of the tongue can mean everything. And that's why this spiritual discipline is so important. As Diedrich Bonhoeffer wrote, real silence, real stillness, really holding one's tongue comes only as the sober consequence of spiritual stillness. In Ecclesiastes, there are a number of teachings that back this up. Ecclesiastes 3.7 says that there is a time to be silent and a time to speak. And then in Ecclesiastes 5.1 through 2 talks about guarding your speech as you are entering into the house of God. It says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. There's the old saying, right? We've got two ears and one mouth for a reason. So we should listen more than we talk. And when you're practicing the spiritual discipline of silence, you are listening more than you're speaking. 
who are listening to God. And that transfers, right? Like as you are controlling your speech in this practice of silence, it's going to help you control it all the more in your day-to-day life. So what are some practical ways that we can find solitude and silence? We all have busy lives. Some of us are more busy than others. And like I said, if you're a parent, especially with kids who don't drive, you know, you may be running all over the place. You don't see when you can find that time of solitude and silence. For others, it might be that the phone's distracting. You know, you got all the entertaining things on it. You got some downtime and maybe it's an automatic thing. It's such a habit you've you've built up that you're mindlessly scrolling through Instagram or, or Facebook or, you know, for the young people, you watch some TikToks, YouTube videos, you play Wordle, whatever, or whatever game is popular right now. Candy Crush still going strong, which I tend to do most of these things except TikTok. As I was reading, I pulled together some practical things that we can do to find silence and solitude. And these come from uh, authors Richard Foster and David Mathis in their books on spiritual disciplines. And so first, even in the busy days, find what Foster calls little solitudes throughout your day. These might be before you go on in the morning, maybe before everybody's even up, or perhaps before you go to bed at the end of the day. It might be during your drive to work or to school. Instead of listening to the radio or your, or your phone, you take time in solitude and silence. It might even be a time so small that normally we wouldn't recognize it. You know, it might be you know, when you, you come across something that makes you appreciate God's creation, that you just sit in that for a minute. Maybe you're headed somewhere with your kids and you try and play the silence game. Anybody, anybody do that? You know, you tell your kids, uh, you know, who can stay quietest till we get to where we're going. I would always try that with my niece and my nephews when they were younger, and inevitably one of them would immediately say something because he didn't want to be silent. Might have been Brady, I don't know. But those who know my nephew. Uh, however you can do it, though, it, it's finding those small moments in between things. No matter how long it is, even if it's just 30 seconds, it's just finding a small moment in your day where you don't fill it with noise. You just take time and spend it with God. Now, another way that we can do this, another way we can find these times is to to designate a certain place that is like your place where you're going to spend your quiet time with God. Maybe you've you know, worked out a plan with your spouse and it may not happen every day, but, but however you do it, you've got a place where you and God meet. I've never been the best at this. I always just try and do it wherever I, I am. Most of the time, it's either here in my office, um, at my desk, or at home. For some, like Rick, I know Rick loves to be in the woods. He loves to be walking the trails at McCormick's Creek because it's quiet typically, and he can sit on the benches out there, loves being out in nature. But there's other places you can do that. I mean, out here at church, we've got some good spots. We've got 13 acres, and and you can get far enough away from all the construction that you don't hear it too much right now, but you come out here. Those benches down by the crosses, that's a good place when it's not 900 degrees outside. It's a great place. And honestly, like Tuesday through Thursday, we're usually here until about one or two in the afternoon, eight in the morning. Come hang out with us. 
we'll let you in. There, we have lovely prayer room in there. We've got prayer benches. Come spend time with God here. Well, it's good to have a place where you've picked out. Make sure that when you go there, you've got a plan for what you're going to do when you're spending time with God. Your time may be limited. And so have a plan going in. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And, and it's, it's good if you are, but it's, you don't always have to be like perfectly alone to do this. Like you can find solitude internally, if, even if you don't have solitude around you. How many times have you been in a crowd and you just kind of, kind of can, the crowd just kind of fades out? Like I, I know that's happened with me. It's not my, not my best way to do it, but some people are built that way where you can be in a crowd and just kind of get lost, but you can have still a, a quiet time with God. Now, if I go somewhere, you know, not at home or here, I usually go over to campus because I, I love hanging out on campus. Uh, the Arboretum is a beautiful place to, to go. Or if you really need somewhere quiet, go to the School of Art Library. Um, it's in the art building, and it's very top. Nobody's ever in there. It's very quiet. I loved it. I was an art history minor, so I, I found that library quick. You can go also to the art museum because there's usually not a ton of people in there, but you will never be alone because there's always someone following you, making sure you don't touch something. Or at least maybe it was just me. But <laughs> I would go and I'd be like looking at the art, and then I'd look over and like around a corner, just barely there is the guy in the jacket just looking at me and like, that's creepy. Stop it. And so I'd walk somewhere else, and then I would turn, and it's there again. <laughs> so I wouldn't recommend the art, <laughs> the museum, but go to the library. There's less people there. During your quiet time, whether it's shorter in time, whether it's longer in time, there's a few things that you should try and do during that time. First thing you should do is take your phone out and put it on Do Not Disturb. Or take the far more radical step and... Turn it off, which I know is amazing. You can do it, though. Some of us have lived during a time where we did not have cell phones in our pocket all the time. Like, your, your phone was attached to your wall. And you hoped you had a long enough cord that, you know, you could get, get away from it a bit. Then you'd inevitably have to, like, untangle it because they were the worst. But, but yeah, you don't have to get back with everybody immediately. They don't know. They may text you five times to be like, where are you? Are you dead? It's like, no. Not yet. <laughs> but turn your phone off. Or at least put it on Do Not Disturb. And if you use that for your Bible, like if you read your Bible on your phone, that's okay. They have came out with this really neat invention called a book. It's physical. It's got pages. Kind of neat. You cannot, like, you know, touch it to see what a word means, which I've done. <laughs> like, there are times where I'm like, oh, oh that doesn't work. Uh, but they're still really good. <laughs> they're still really good. Um, maybe that's not a problem for you. You're, you're perfectly fine. You don't get on your phone anyway. So, but I know for a lot of us, it is. Um, but then really get into things, pray for God's blessing, like start with prayer, pray for God's blessing, and that he will bring to light what needs your attention, that, that God's going to meet you there. And then read and meditate on scripture. 
whether it's a plan that you're going through or maybe you're just going to focus on a book of the Bible, um, just read and then meditate on that scripture, like what we talked about earlier in this series. But then also trust that God will meet you in his word. Yes, he will. And then spend time just kind of listening to the silence. Like just let your soul sit in it and decompress a bit. We all need that. I think we all need that. Just sit in that silence for a bit. Keep something around to, to write down, like pen in a journal. Write down, you know, the what God is revealing to you through his word, through his spirit. And if you have time, take an extended time for prayer. Guided by the scriptures. You know, the Psalms are great to pray through. Uh, the Lord's Prayer is wonderful to use. If you use the method that we talked about, the Acts method, uh, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. But also keep recording your thoughts as you're going. Keep recording what God is, is impressing on you as you're going. And as David Mathis writes, you know, you may not know how badly you needed silence and solitude until you get to know them. So if you're having homework this week, what I want you to do is I want you to just plan and find some time where you can find solitude and silence. What I would recommend is finding five minutes. Do more if you're able. But try and find five minutes every day. And if you can only find five, that's fine. Like, use those five. Grab your Bible, grab a pen, grab a notebook, take time to decompress, spend quiet time with God. Now, you're going to find that if, you, if, you, if five minutes is all you can get, like that's going to go by really quick. And you're hopefully going to want more because you're just spending time with God. And, and that's okay, though, if five minutes is all you can get. If you're married, you know, try and work out a schedule with your spouse, like tag team and watching your kids. You know, let, let your wife watch your kids for a bit, and then you watch them for a bit as you both are able to get quiet time. Um, if, if you're a busy person and, you know, your calendar runs your life, then make an appointment that you will not break. Make an appointment with God and tell people, you know, I can't, I can't meet during that time. I've already got an appointment. You don't have to tell them what it is. Or you can, like, it's a good witness. It's like, I, I will not miss that meeting. But whatever you can do, take time this week, five minutes, or yeah, five minutes, as often as you can, daily if you can, to just spend time in solitude and silence with God. There's a lot of noise in this world. It's a busy place, like we are always on the go. But what would it look like if we Christians, if we didn't live the way the world lived? If we didn't give in to the constant pushing and pulling in every direction, where we say, no, I've already got an appointment. I'm sorry, I can't, can't break that one. And we're able to hear when we, when we have that time of silence, solitude, rest that comes with it. We're able to hear in the midst of the chaos that still small voice, the gentle whisper of God. I think that'd be a pretty great endorsement for what God can do in your life. That you're willing to give up whatever it is in this world 
just to spend time with him. Plus, it starts getting us to think less about the things of this world and more about eternal things, which are far more important. So slow down. Hear that gentle whisper and take time this week to practice solitude and silence. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we, uh, we just come before you today as I know a lot of us are, are busy people. And we don't often take that time to find solitude and silence where we can just be with you, regardless of how long it is. Lord, I pray that you would help each of us to, to do that. Especially this week as we try and put into place these spiritual habits. Help us to practice other ones as well, like the Bible study and prayer during this time. But just help us to really practically think through what it would mean to live in solitude and silence with you, even in moments. Help us to be like Jesus, because he did that. And he is pretty busy during his ministry, but he would often get away from it all just to be with you. And so like I said, if he needed it, how much more do we? Help us to recognize that need. Help us to sit in that need. Help us to, to lean on you to get us into that posture. It's a humble posture, Lord, where we rely on you. And, and we're, we, we're not addicted to the noise. We're not addicted to the, the talking or all the things that go on. Father, we thank you. Thank you for what Jesus did for us on the cross. Thank you that he didn't stay there, that he came back. He conquered death so that we may be with you forever. And then, you know, all of these habits are going to go away by the wayside, I think, because it's just going to be different and better. And we're not going to have to try as hard as we do now because there won't be as many distractions, because we're just going to be focused on you. So to that, I just say, come Lord Jesus, come <laughs> quickly. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.